Good morning, church. Please stand. Soul will sing, my soul will make this place. 
His mercy and Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Jesus said the first commandment is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And as we prepare to celebrate the mystery of Christ's love, let us acknowledge our sins and ask the Lord for pardon and strength. Please kneel. Most merciful God, I confess that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what I have done and by what I have left undone. I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbors as myself. I am truly sorry, and I humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and forgive me, that I may delight in your will and walk in your ways. To the glory of your name. Amen. You absolution, remission of all your sins, true repentance, amendment of life, and the grace and consolation of His Holy Spirit. Amen.
pray together the collect. O God, whose glory it is always to have mercy, be gracious to all who have gone astray from your ways, and bring them again with penitent hearts and steadfast faith to embrace and hold fast the unchangeable truth of your word, Jesus Christ, your Son, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God, forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray for the children. Nice. You are fast. (laughs) I like that. Here they are. Good to see you today. There we go. Now we're ready. Happy birthday. (laughs) If you'd stretch out your hands and pray with me as we pray for these young warriors as they go off to their training. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would bless each one of these young people here today. Lord, that you would watch over and keep them safe. That you would give them courage and wisdom and strength in everything they do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 And you too, buddy. This morning's first reading comes from Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the terebinth tree of Moriah. And the Canaanites were then in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord, who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel. And he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Our psalm this morning comes from Psalm 33, and we'll read it responsively by the asterisk. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And all the hosts of them He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the earth 
For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and stood fast. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people he has chosen as his own inheritance. The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. From the place of his dwelling he looks. On all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashions their hearts individually. He considers all their works. No king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. On those who hope in his mercy. To deliver their soul from death. And to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in him. Because we have trusted in his holy name. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us. Just as we hope in you. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, it is now, and will be forever. Our second reading this morning is taken from the book of Romans, chapter 4, verse 1, commencing. What then shall we say that Abraham, our father, has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scriptures say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. This is the word of the Lord.
our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. John. Glory be to thee, O Lord. St. John chapter 2, beginning at chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nevertheless, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent, In the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that that the world through him might be saved. The gospel of our Lord. Praise be to thee, Lord Christ.
again this week that I haven't read for quite a while. It's uh, by a guy that I actually had the pleasure of meeting one time. His name's Stephen R. Lawhead. And uh, he's a Christian fiction writer, and he writes these fantasy books, often historical fantasies. And he talks about, uh, he weaves in the Christian faith to these fantastical battles. And this one in particular is about the King Arthur myth. And he kind of conflates it with the coming of Christianity to Britain, right? And he's talking about the old Druids and they're encountering the Christian priest and there's this battle between the spiritual forces of darkness and the coming light of Jesus Christ. And it's really fun. I mean, I'm a geek, so it really just gets... That's exactly the type of book I like to read. But I was also thinking about... Uh, the conversations that are in this book, and obviously all fictional, but they really do represent a lot of the conversations that were happening as this crazy religion of Christianity was taking over the world. Because remember, Jesus had 12 disciples, one of which betrayed him, and no longer, you know, he ended up not being a follower anymore. And so he has these 11 guys, right? And... That becomes the worldwide, the most worldwide religion that has ever existed in the history of the world. It doesn't make any sense. And in fact, the conversations that are being had are about uh, these people who are like, well, I've got all these gods. I can worship your God too. That's fine. But why does he have to be number one? Why does he have to be the only God? Right? Because it was normal in Rome for new gods to come up or they'd conquer a new tribe and they'd say, you worship your God, that's fine, but worship our gods too. Right? But there was something different going on in Christianity. Because there was a claim, even in the early uh, Judaism, that God, our God, Yahweh, was the God above all gods and that there were no gods beside Him. And in our Lenten season, I've been thinking about the fact that people are calling this modern era a new pagan culture. They're saying, you know, the United States was characterized for a long time by the beliefs of Christianity. But now it's actually as common or more common that you're going to encounter somebody who wasn't raised in the church, who isn't a Christian, who doesn't know the truth of Jesus Christ, who doesn't know the stories of the Bible even. That our culture has become secularized, right? That's one of the terms. And so what is, why am I bringing all this up? Why am I rambling about this idea? Well, there is in this book these conversations between these pagan priests and this, these Christian priests, and they, they resemble conversations I've had myself with people who don't understand Christianity. Well, Why do I need to follow that old book 
written thousands of years ago by a little tribe in the middle of nowhere, why does it matter? Or why do I need to change my lifestyle to serve this new thing? And that's really the challenge that we face in the culture today. Why is Jesus in particular worthy of our worship? It's not a challenge of us convincing other people that, you know what, all those things, money, wealth, power, sex, fame, those are bad. You go out there and you preach that message and see how far you get. How many people are going to listen to you? I'll tell you, not many. Not many. The truth and the Christian message, the kernel that has survived every persecution, every culture shift, there's not a country in the world that has outlasted Christianity. What is at the center of it? It's a God who is worthy of our worship. A God who is so good that you should give up every other God and serve Him. And that's the way that I think Lent should operate in our lives. We give up some things. Maybe it's alcohol or TV or social media or, you know, I was just talking to somebody who wants to give up gossiping. Great. Love it. You get things out of your, out of your way so that you can see the goodness of God. That's the reason. Not because you wicked sinner, you be better. No, it's because those things make it so you can't see the goodness of God. A God who is worthy of worship, a God who it's better if you just give up all the other gods and serve him. And so today, as we're talking, that's the journey that Christ is making into Jerusalem. We're going through this series where we study Holy Week. We look at Jesus's last week before his crucifixion. What was he doing? He was uprooting all the other gods that had found their way into The Jewish religion, all the other gods, including the Roman ones. He was saying, no, I am Lord of all. And he put his big stamp on it by dying on a cross, which makes zero sense. Why would you do that? Didn't you just lose? You picked a battle and you lost? That's the scandal of Christianity is actually through his death, he conquered death. And of course, we know Easter is coming. Easter is coming. And so as we read through what he talks about, I want you to keep in mind that in the same way that we identified ourselves with Israel when we were walking through the Exodus story, and we talked about the soul that was in tyranny and then got brought into the wilderness where maybe there was no tyranny, but there was utter chaos. And they had to learn how to be a people who loved God, who served God, who looked to him for their provision. In the same way that we identified ourselves with Israel, we should identify ourselves with Jerusalem in Holy Week. Jesus is coming in and he's proclaiming the truth. How will you respond? Because that's the question for Jerusalem. How is Jerusalem going to respond when Jesus comes? He's been ministering for three years and now he comes and he makes his proclamation. How are they going to respond to him? So let's talk through this because the last time we covered Palm Sunday. So he was riding high. All of Jerusalem besides the religious leaders, were declaring, Hosanna, son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He retreats to Bethany, has a good night's sleep, and now he's heading back into Jerusalem. And like I warned you, he's going to stir some things up. He's going to stir up the opposition by proclaiming the hard truths that he is asking them to accept. Mark 11, beginning in verse 12. 
On the following day, they came from Bethany, and he was hungry. That's just a great little phrase. I'm really not going to preach on that phrase, but Jesus was so man that he was hungry. Maybe he didn't eat enough breakfast that morning. Thank God for a God who will identify with all of our weakness. You think God doesn't care when you're hungry? He knows what it's like. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, it's all right, it's not the season for figs, I'll move on. No, he said, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Okay, did Jesus not know that it wasn't the season for figs? No, he grew up in a culture that lived off of the food that they were able to grow. We don't really get that because we go to the grocery store and we're like, it is the season for everything all the time. Where are my special apples that I like? Whatever they are, right? We really don't understand. No, he knew the season. So that's a little hint. He's trying to make a different point. He's not making a point that that tree, because he's God, should have had figs on it. No, he's making a different point. So what is he saying? Well, he could have just said, fig tree, bring forth fruit. And don't you know, it would have brought forth fruit. We've seen him do crazier things. But instead, no, he is using it as a symbol of the failure of Jerusalem to produce the fruits of the mission that God gave them when he rescued them out of Egypt. When he made Abraham and the father of nations, he said, all the world will be blessed by you. And we get to this time, and the world has not been blessed by Israel. What happened? We even saw in our Exodus series that the point of God setting this people apart was because he loved the entire world. And he wanted to save them by the witness of his kingdom of priests, his people serving God. But Israel is a lot like us, and they weren't very good witnesses to the culture, right? Over and over again, a culture would come in and say, we've got a better God. And they'd be like, well, let's go follow him. That's not a witness, right? In the same way, over and over again, our culture says, you need to serve our gods, money, finance, sex, fame, power, drugs, rock and roll, whatever it is. All things that have their place. Drugs can cure incurable diseases. I'm not going to go into all of these. Let's say fame, right? Fame has its uses, significance. We should recognize people who should be admired. All of these things, money, it provides for our life. All of these things have their places. But as soon as the culture asks you, serve them, give them your all. They are the most important. They become gods that must be overturned. And that's what they mean when they say we're in a pagan culture, right? Because there's more people serving all of those gods than there are serving God. And so, as we think about this, what is happening? Jesus is declaring something that has been declared for hundreds of years to Jerusalem through the prophets. In fact, there are no fewer than seven references in the prophets to Israel being a withered fig tree. This is something that they said over and over again. Israel, you're not producing any fruit. God asked you to produce fruit to save the world, to point everybody to him. And so Jesus, through this one miracle of cursing the fig tree, that at first seems like, what is going on here? He's actually doing something that all of the religious leaders especially would have recognized. The day of judgment has come. 
Jesus is coming. The day of judgment has come. And then you have the whole fig tree. Why do they keep talking about the fig tree? Well, in the, in the garden, Adam and Eve, what did they clothe themselves with? Fig leaves. So the point of the fig tree is all of your human effort to clothe yourself through the religion of sacrifices, even the godly religion that God set up for them, because you brought your humanity into it in the fallen, broken way, it hasn't borne fruit. And Jesus over and over again is confronting the religious leaders saying, yeah, you follow all these rules, but look at the widow that you just let languish in the street. It hasn't changed your heart. It hasn't changed your heart. And we're going to get to more of that as we go to the next thing. But there's a curious notion that I don't want us to pass over here, which is when you follow Jesus, if we're going to identify ourselves with Jerusalem in this story, you have to bear fruit. You actually don't get to just live your life saying, yes, I'm a Christian. And when they send the survey, you mark Christian on the form. And when you have a baby, you get them baptized. That's actually not the Christian life. There is so much more. And I think it causes quite a bit of tension in the Christian faith. In fact, the Mormons, I used to do these um, trips with my high school where we went and we debated Mormons about their faith and we had these great talks. I made some great friends. But their biggest criticism of Christianity is you can be a Christian and not be a Christian. You can be a Christian and live your life like anybody else. You won't recognize a Christian on the street. At least we know who the Mormons are. That was their big argument. That we're hypocrites. And honestly, although there's some theological stuff that you can go into about that, they have a point. We should absolutely take that seriously. In fact, James was already seeing this happen in the early church, right? So let's go to James chapter 2. This is just a great Lenten passage. And uh, verse 14, James, talking to the early church, like within... 30 years of Jesus in Jerusalem, he's already talking to the early church about this stuff. And he says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of them says to you, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. That's a heavy passage. Because the point is, good intentions actually don't count. In fact, there's one more step beyond I believe. I'm going to go one step further. You actually, the passage here is telling you, you don't believe if you don't do the things that are in keeping with your belief. So I can say all day, I believe, I believe that red is the best color. But then I buy a bunch of blue things, and I don't have a single red thing in my house. Do I really believe that red is the best color? No. I am not living in keeping with my belief. To put a finer point on it, I can say I believe that Jesus is my Lord and Savior, but live like I'm in charge of my own life. Do I really believe that Jesus is my Lord and Savior? 
Do you? I don't know. Now, we say the Lord weighs the hearts, but that's the challenge in this passage. Is like, you say you have faith, but you're living in the world just like you don't have faith. So I'm going to show you my faith by living the Christian life, taking up my cross and following Jesus. I'm going to show you I have faith by laying down the things I want to do in favor of the things God's asking me to do. That was the challenge I felt this morning reading this passage is, when was the last time I did something differently than I wanted to because Jesus told me to? Sometimes it goes a pretty good stretch where I'm just living my life and I'm not listening to what maybe he wants me to do. This is Lent. This is the journey where we clear out some of the stuff that has been crowding in our heart, that has been demanding our time, our attention, our obedience. And we look, Jesus, what do you want me to do? Let your faith lead to fruits in keeping with repentance. Let's keep going because there's more to this story as we go along. So Jesus curses the fig tree and he goes into Jerusalem. And it says, And they came to Jerusalem and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written... My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. So this is right after the fig leaf, or the fig tree, right? So he's cursing the fig tree symbolically, and then he's going to the place that should have been the greatest witness of God's faithfulness in the whole world, in the center of Jerusalem, in the temple, and it's a market where they compete to charge people the most they can for the sacrifices that they are required to make by this religion in the temple. They are trafficking in human guilt, right? They are using a God-given right of atonement. These things that the priests are supposed to help them so that they can reconcile with the Lord, so they can restore relationship, and they're using it as a way to make money. On top of that, they are not allowing foreigners into the temple. And Jesus is like, the whole point was that all the nations could come and see the glory of the God in you. The whole point. I hear some pretty strong convictions for the church today, right? We always need to be asking ourselves, are we doing this so that we can bring people to encounter the love of God? Are we doing it so that we're comfortable, we have our people around, and our church looks the best and feels the best for us? We always have to have that in mind. But what I want to go to today is, if we are representing Jerusalem, the temple, right? It says in the scriptures in the New Testament that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Who are all the people in your heart that are crowding things up? Where are all the different voices that are keeping you from the worship of God? Because that was the whole point. Instead of worshiping God, people were coming there and there was a clamor of voices trying to get their money, trying to get their time, trying to get their devotion aside from God. So we see this historical act of Jesus driving out the money changers in the temple and I see this as lining up directly with Lent. Get the stuff out of your heart so that you can worship the Lord. The whole point is not, you evil, wicked sinners. Believe it or not, 
Jesus doesn't actually say that, right? Occasionally he uses some harsh words, but the point like we read in our gospel today, John 3.16, probably the most famous verse in the whole Bible, that he came to save the world, not to condemn it. So why is he driving the money changers out? Is it because he wants them to know how bad they are or because he wants to give them the best opportunity to finally take their God seriously? And in the same way in Lent, is God trying to get you to change your behavior? Is God trying to get you to get rid of some things that you're holding on to so that he can make you feel awful about how bad you are? Or is he trying to clear the way so that you can encounter him? You can encounter him in this time. Now, everybody has to make the choice for themselves. There may be something in your life that you have to give up, even beyond whatever you decided to give up for Lent. There may be a practice or a time or a thing that you're holding on to, but why? Your God is worthy of your worship if you'll open your eyes and see. But sometimes that requires letting go. Now, in this season of repentance... Let's just remember that our God is not a God of transactions. On top of all of the things that I've said about faith and works and keeping with repentance and clear your heart, a lot of, but our God doesn't require that in order to love you. He loves just the crazy, wicked sinner that you are. I don't know about you, but I feel that way, right? Sometimes I go like, God, how am I standing in the pulpit preaching to your people when I've got all this stuff that I'm dealing with? A, B, C, or D. My wife can tell you. I am not perfect. And God wants you to know today that the, same, the other thing that he needed to make clear in that temple is that you don't have to pay a price in order to encounter God. You have to turn from your sin. Now, we just talked about faith and works. Once you do that, there will be a cost. There will be a cost to turning from your sin. But it's not transactional. The love, the salvation, the death on the cross, the resurrection, everything is there for you already. And the question is, how far are you willing to go? How much are you willing for God to take over in your life? How much resurrection life do you want to experience? Because it's directly linked to what you're willing to give to Him. Another James or First uh, John passage says, If you say you have no sin, you deceive yourself. But if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So there's the, the pair here. Give up what you're holding on to, and God is faithful. We read in our collect that His glory is to always show mercy. Now, the religious leaders hear all of this. And they have a really different reaction than all of us holy people would, right? All of us holy people, if Jesus was convicting us, we would say, yes, Lord, right? No, they have the same reaction that we often have when Jesus wants to take something that's precious to us, but isn't of him. The chief priests and the scribes heard it, and they were seeking a way to destroy him. For they feared him because the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. So what's going on there? Well, just not to spend a lot of time here, but Jesus is poking the bear. Hosanna, son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's where the people are on Sunday. By Friday, they're crucifying him. 
What happened in the middle? This. He went into their precious place, their temple, the place that they had to, built to their own glory, although they claimed it was for God, and he overturned everything. And he cursed the fig tree, saying, the time of judgment is here. And all the religious leaders said, oh, not I. I am so good. But I Look what I've done. I'm important. And all of us say the same when God says, hey, maybe you need to be a little more humble in how you talk to people. Maybe you're too sure of yourself. Maybe you're holding on tightly to that thing. Well, I've just got to have my one hour a week where I get to do what I want to do or whatever it is that we, we have all these reasons why what we get is deserved. And when Jesus comes in, sometimes we just turn the volume off, right? We just keep going. That eh, probably wasn't God. Probably wasn't God, you know? In Lent, my invitation is to let Jesus wreck the insides of your temple. Let him turn over the tables. Like I said, he's cleansing it so that he can be there. Wouldn't you rather do it all with him? I would. I need more of him every day. So there's this historic thing happening where now they're, the, the religious leaders are ramping up their smear campaign against Jesus. Did you see what he did in the temple? They're going after him in this, and it's going to be building. And I just want you to keep that in mind as we move on. But as Jesus is leaving this prophetic scene where he's cursed the fig tree, he's overturned the tables, he looks out on Jerusalem, he looks back, and he says this passage in Matthew twenty-three thirty-seven: "O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing? See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And here we get the heart behind the invitation. Because if all you heard was everything I said so far, you might be feeling the burden of condemnation. But this is an insight. No, Jesus is doing all of these things because he loves Jerusalem. Because he loves the Pharisees, the very ones who call out for his death. He loves. And he knows they're going to turn on him. He knows they're already plotting his death. But he really wants them to change. He really wants them to repent. He actually wants relationship with those murderers. And believe it or not, that means he also can want relationship with you. In the same way, Jesus comes in and he disrupts everything for relationship with you. And the whole point of this is Jerusalem was a symbol of God's peace on earth, God's goodwill towards men, and they had transformed it into the same bureaucracy that every human culture since the history of the world has built to keep people in line to oppress people, to get the most money out of them, to do all of these things. They had fallen into all of those problems. And Jesus goes, no, not my city. Not my city. And we look at here and we see that the God of judgment from the Old Testament is also the God of love. Because there is nothing that is in Jesus that is not in God our Father. So if you don't know this already, the book of the Bible is not about a big judgmental Zeus-like God striking people down and then Jesus goes, God, don't do it. Strike me instead. No, 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 no. No. 
The book of the Bible is about the God who created everything, made it good, loved it. And then we said no, and he said, I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you. And then we said no again, and he said, let me rescue you again. And we said no, and he said, let me rescue you again. And we said no, and he sent his only son, Jesus. And he said, surely they'll hear him. And then we crucified him. And then he said, don't worry. I will raise him from the dead. And through that cross and resurrection, I have now purchased your entire salvation. There's not a battle that you face today that God didn't buy on the cross. And so the good news in the midst of all of this, hey, you should give up your gods. Hey, you should take Lent seriously. Hey, you should do all these things. In the midst of all of this is it's all for you. It's all for you that you might be free, that you might have relationship with the God who loves you and has been pursuing you from the garden till eternity. And so let's talk about that love because there's something going on in our nation that is challenging the stale, hypocritical Christianity that has often been portrayed across our time. And we, we are, we're guilty of it too, right? None of us, none of us, not one of us have been perfect. Thank you, Lent, for reminding us of that. But right now, God wants to pour out his love in a unique and powerful way. It started, maybe some people can trace it to that Asbury thing that was going on, right? You had a college campus where a guy stood up and just gave a normal message about, hey, God wants to love you in spite of your sin and your suffering. And he even texted his wife. He goes, oh, just another stinker, you know, just another stinker message. I preached a bunch of them. And from that moment on, they had like 14 days of people, 24-7 prayer, receiving an outpouring of the love of God. Because he got up and just preached, God loves you. He brought it out of Romans, you know, no matter where you're at, God loves you and you need to encounter the love of God. Some students stayed. More people came, and lo and behold, when the love of God shows up, people want that. What did I say at the beginning? Go out there and preach everybody. You're bad, you're evil, you're whatever. They're not going to listen. But if you preach, there is one who is worthy of your love, who loves you, that's a message people will hear. And so they had this great outpouring, and there was a bunch of stories that came out of it, and there was two things I want to point out about these stories. Number one, people would go into that room... And they would say they encountered the holiness of God. The true set-apartness, right? Holy means set-apart. That thing where he's so immense and he's so good. And they would realize how unworthy they were. This is story and story and story. But in that same instant, they would encounter the closeness, the love of God, meeting them in their brokenness. I need to remember that love. I've encountered it so many times and yet I go out into the world and I gain all of these things and I think, man, I'm unworthy again. And I have to encounter that love again. And so these people are encountering the goodness of God, the holiness of God, the faith without works is dead of God, all of that stuff. And they're encountering at the same time the love of God, which is the same God. And second, they're experiencing God's timing. So again and again, they're saying, I sat down and I thought it was 10 minutes and it was two hours. I thought it was five minutes and it was three hours. I thought it was 20 minutes and it was five hours. I mean, every, I've heard story and story and story. So I think, as I've been praying about this, that there's actually a prophetic message for us. That there's some of us who feel like there's just no more time left. 
that we're out of time. That God can't do that thing that He promised or that, you know, there's, there's situations that we've given up for hopeless that God wants to show us in His time, He's going to show up. I think we're in what, I, what some people have termed an instant suddenly moment, right? Because over and over we see these things in Scripture where it goes, in an instant suddenly God showed up. And you're like, yeah, but they were waiting for 60 years for that to happen. But in an instant suddenly He showed up. And I think that that's the message for us in this season as God is showing up in His holiness and His love as we repent and we encounter Him and we realize that the love of God which shows us who we are, that He also wants to break through and bring us into His time. And in His perfect time, all of our needs are met. All of the promises are yes and amen. And there is no fear in that love. Amen? And at our worship night on Wednesday, we encountered a, a portion of that outpouring because God's been speaking to us. We've had prophetic words. We've had people be healed. We've had things happening over the past few weeks. And we're like, man, we've got to have a worship night. I had several people telling me, Jesse, man, can you plan a worship night? It's like, great, let's do it. Let's go see what God will do when we take time out of our week and we say, God, we're just here to encounter you. We've started with repentance because of these words that have been coming out of Asbury, I thought, you know what? We need to start with acknowledging our unworthiness. And then we went into worship and we went into praying for people. And for an hour and a half, God showed up and poured out on the people who showed up. There was weeping. There was breakthrough. There was moments of God's presence. And it all centered on the love of God for us. So praise God. God's doing something right now in this season. And the invitation to all of us is to press into him. And this is not some kooky, weird, whoa, what's happening? This is how God showed up all the time. Throughout all of time, God shows up in powerful ways. He convicts people of their sin and he encounters them with love. You read it all throughout the Bible, all throughout the New Testament, all throughout the history of the church. And so thank God that we get to be a part of a special time where he's doing that. But you know what I think he's doing for our church in this season of Holy Spirit power, of the things that he's doing in our life, right? He's teaching us how to be the church all the time. I think there's a special moment where prayers are easier, where encounters with God are closer. I don't know exactly how that all works, but the veil seems to be thin. I don't know, I go to my devotions and they used to feel really dry. It was just like, man, I got to do these. And all of a sudden they're feeling more rich. There's stuff coming out. I think that that's a part of being a part of God's purpose in the world right now. I think there's a special moment right now. But man, let's not leave it there. This is just the beginning. He's filling, filling us up, changing us, bringing breakthroughs so that we can live as people who are shaped by encounter with the presence and the power of God. And so as we kind of go through this, we have a couple more worship nights coming up. I encourage you to come to one of those. But the point is bigger than those moments of encounter. Please be there. Absolutely. They are wonderful. I'm going to be at all of them. It's great. But the point is that we serve a living God. A living God who loves you, who wants to change you, who wants to save your life. And God doesn't just want something from us because he wants something for us. That's true. I said that last week. But the next stage is God wants something for us because he wants something for the whole world. 
And if we can enter into the purposes of God, us little St. Michael's Church, then St. Clemente will be impacted as we go about our lives. Then the state of California, that godless heathen country, will be impacted and changed because we chose to serve God. That's it. It's simple, it's powerful, and it's the most difficult thing that you will ever have to do for the rest of your life. To serve God and love others. Amen? Amen. There is hope for California. Amen. (laughs) Let us recite together the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified for us under Potiphar. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the Scriptures and ascended into heaven and is seated on the right hand of the Father, and he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. And I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church, I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead, life of the world to come. Amen. Brothers and sisters, as people born again into the kingdom of God, let us turn to our God for the needs of the whole world. That the church, through, the, through word and deed, will manifest the love that God the Father has demonstrated to them, Through Jesus Christ our Lord, Lord in your mercy, that as the work of Jesus robbed death of its power, may we with his help work to foster a culture of life. Lord in your mercy, that all parents, priests, teachers, and catechists may effectively impart the word of God to future generations. Lord in your mercy, that all those whom we love and care for and are praying for will come to know the one true God in Jesus Christ, whom he has sent, whom he has sent. Lord, in your mercy, that we, like Abraham, will trust God in all the circumstances in our lives. Lord, in your mercy, that the sick may be comforted and healed. Lord, in your mercy, that we will eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit for the glory of God and the good of all. Lord, in your mercy. Merciful Father, through your grace, your gift of faith, you justify the ungodly. Hear our prayer and give us the grace to live our lives worthy of your calling. We ask this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.
The peace of the Lord be always with you. Turn and greet your neighbors with the peace of the Lord. Right. Well, our announcements this week, we have confession every Saturday from 1 to 2.30 p.m. Is it 1 to 2.30 or 1 to 3, Father Ed? 1 to 3? 1 o'clock to 2.30. Okay, 1 o'clock to 2.30. Okay, so please come if you'd like to uh, come for confession. <coughs> Praise Dance Sundays from 2 to 3.30. See Bethany Mercer for that. And then, yeah, awesome. We're excited for that. Fire Nights, as Jesse mentioned during, uh, during his sermon, uh, March 15th and 29th at 7.30 p.m. Uh, heard it was a real move of God. Uh, if you have an opportunity, you want to be here. It's just a great opportunity. It's, it's, uh, I think of that so much in Lent, and Jesse was preaching about that so much, is that uh, it's not about uh, making you feel bad, <laughs> right? Lent is more than that. It's about becoming all the things that God has called us to do, and you will, you will have no better opportunity, I think, this Lent than to, to spend that time on these Wednesday nights to enter into praise and worship of God here and I think that that's kind of the refreshing, the renewal. Um, you know, we all want to be born again. I heard that in the gospel lesson today, and I'm all for it. So uh, you have the opportunity. I encourage you very much to be there. So, yeah. The last one is uh, St. Michael's uh, Christian Academy is going to have its open house this Thursday night from 6.30 to 7.30. Anyone here is welcome. We'd love to have you guys. Invite your friends, invite your neighbors, uh, and uh, come on down and see what we're doing. That is a great opportunity. If you, if you haven't been to school for a while, now is your chance to come. What time is that? 6.30 to 7.30. 6.30 to 7.30 on Thursday. Correct. Okay. Fun time had by all. Okay. Oh, I guess i got to do my other part. As we prepare to receive the body and blood of Christ in the Eucharist, let us respond to God's word by engaging with him in musical worship and presenting to God our tithes and offerings out of that which God has given to us. Through Christ, let us continually offer to God the sacrifice of praise, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name, but do not to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God.
Welcome all baptized believers to receive the body and blood of Christ. This is the table of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little, you who have been here often and you who have not been here long, you who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come, because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. Come to the table. The Lord be with you. With your spirit. Lift up your hearts. Lift them up to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord our God. Thank you. Father, all powerful and ever living God, we do well always and everywhere to give you thanks through Jesus Christ our Lord. For you have given your children a sacred time for the renewing and purifying of their hearts that freed from the disordered affections, they may so deal with the things of this passing world as to hold rather to the things that eternally endure. And so with all the angels and saints, we praise you as we sing without end, we acclaim. Spirit come upon the body and blood, come upon, hmm. let your Holy Spirit come upon these gifts to make them holy so that they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Before he was given up to death, the death he freely accepted, he took bread, he gave you thanks, he broke the bread, he gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body which is given for you, do this for the remembrance of me. 
When supper was ended, he took the cup again. He gave you thanks and praise. He gave the cup to his disciples and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. Let us proclaim the mystery of our faith. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. In memory of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Father, this life-giving bread, this saving cup. We thank you for counting us worthy to stand in your presence and serve you. May all of us who share in the body and blood of Jesus be brought together in unity by the Holy Spirit. Lord, remember your church throughout the world. Make us grow in love together with our patriarch Craig, our Bishop Douglas, and all the clergy. Remember those for whom we now pray. Susan, Naomi, Sonia, Sandra, Karen, Tammy, David, Jerry, Liliana, the House family, the Marines and sailors of Camp Pendleton, and all those who serve in our armed forces. You can add the names of the people you're praying for. Draw our hearts to remember the poor and broken. As we receive the body and blood of Jesus, may we be transformed to become the body of Christ to the world. Have mercy on us all. Make us worthy to share eternal life with the apostles, martyrs, and all the saints. May we praise you in union with them and give you glory through your Son, Jesus Christ, by him, with him, and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit. All honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Jesus taught us to call God our Father, and so we have the courage to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the peace. Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. Have mercy upon us. Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. Have mercy upon us. Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. The gifts of God for the people of God. Take them in remembrance that Jesus died for you and feed on him in your hearts with thanksgiving. Blessed are those who are called to his supper.
Jesus Christ, and you have fed us with spiritual food and the sacrament of his body and blood. Send us now into the world in peace and grant us strength and courage to love and serve you with gladness and singleness of heart through Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Michael, the archangel, defend us in the battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host. By the divine power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who roam throughout the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. As you go out from this place, always remember the gospel, that God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world to himself and not counting men's sins against them. God loves you. God has forgiven you. God is not mad at you. And God will never leave you nor forsake you. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you and those you love and care for now and forever. Amen.